0: Okay, everybody. My name is Michael E. Cullen II, and with me is Matthew Haas. We are the co hosts of the All To Real 2 podcast. Too. On All To Real 2, we uh, tackle pop culture topics uh, such as re- watching and reviewing uh, direct to DVD sequels.
1: We review any and every all direct to video movies of yeah, all time.
0: That we review so you don't have to. Yeah. We also cover uh, pop culture topics topics, you know, like the history of Halloween, misconceptions, and things of that nature. It's
1: very educational and entertaining.
0: And we've just started doing interviews with uh, people from uh, Hollywood and uh, people from pop culture, such as Larry Hankin, which we just interviewed recently, who you know from Seinfeld and uh, Friends and Billy Madison, among other things. So uh, where can they find our podcast, Matt?
1: And they can find it at iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and any other place that you can find podcasts on.
0: Just tune in and enjoy. Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe you can achieve. Hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Curveball. I am your host, Curveball, and today I am joined by Kristen McDermott. She is a marriage and family licensed therapist with a decade of research and resilience. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, resilience. So Kristen, thank you for joining me.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, why don't you start off by giving everybody a brief overview of yourself, how you got into the marriage and family and how you got into resilience?
1: Well, I got into the marriage and family um, just finally realizing that... um, that that was just a good fit after 10 years, you know, being out of college and trying to figure out who I really was and what I really wanted to do. And so when I became a therapist, I loved it and had no intention of ever doing anything else. And then as life would have it, I, um, I got invited to run a cancer support group when I was living in a small town in Colorado. And I thought, Gosh, I really like what I do. And running a cancer support group sounds really depressing. But I got talked into it anyway. And um, it turned out to be the most meaningful work I ever did in my life. I um I just there was just so much great work that happened, surprisingly, working with people who were struggling with the most difficult thing in their lives. And in terms of resilience, I found that working with certain people who were dealing with cancer, I just kept wondering how some people were able to actually really thrive when their lives seemed like they were falling apart. And some people weren't able to thrive like that. And I started, I had a partner at the time and we just started wondering, you know, is there something that these people know that we could teach to others? And so from that, my whole life just became devoted to that. And we ended up developing a curriculum, a resilience curriculum. And the other thing about working in cancer is that, you know, I worked in a hospital with people when they were hooked up to the infusions. And these people weren't signing up for long-term cancer. They, I mean, sorry, long-term therapy. They were just looking for skills and tools that they could use to, you know, Quiet their minds and make decisions and sleep and just manage their lives. And so that was actually a really good fit for me, too, just in terms of how my brain works. I don't ever really want to be the therapist that someone comes to forever. I like people to come and have specific goals and I can teach them things and teach them skills and then they don't need me anymore. So that just sort of became where my Work went, I did ended up doing a decade of research in resilience, actually in still in the realm of cancer. And we developed a curriculum that really proved that, you know, even when people were actually dying, even when their cancer was progressing, they used our tools and they perceived their quality of life as better. So it just became this passion of mine to try to get this resilience kind of skills-based resilience training out to as many people as I possibly can in my life.
0: Well, let's talk about kids and resentment. You know, sometimes kids can be resentful. What are the top three things in your practice that you see that make kids resent?
1: Oh, I love that you're asking this question. Yeah, because that's really become where I spend a lot of my time now is parenting. I have a couple of parenting programs, online parenting programs, because it's just a passion of mine. And so I would say the things that really breed resentment are when kids don't feel like they're being listened to, you know, a lot of parenting kind of feels like it's from the top down, you know, it's like, I'm the parent, I know more than you do. So you need to do what I say, just because I said so. (laughs) And even when parents are right, it doesn't feel good to not feel heard or to not feel like you have any control in your life. So that's one of the things that I try to help parents do is like find the places in your kids' lives where you can give them a little more control or at least a little voice in how their lives are gonna work out. Does that make sense?
0: That makes perfect sense.
1: So yeah, and I would say, um, I would say when you say the top three things that build resentment. So, um, I mean, definitely control and not having a voice which are really related, they're probably not really two separate things. Um, And then I also think, you know, when our kids don't share the same values that we share, and again, like we as parents, we have a lot of wisdom, you know, we've spent years coming to decide what matters to us and what makes a good life and how we think life should be lived and all those things. And so it makes sense that we would want our children to share our same values. But they just don't always and i think making space to have your kids be able to have some choice over what their values are and how they choose to align themselves i mean they're they're basically gonna do it anyway <laughs> so you know you can create a a bunch of resentment and resistance by you know, enforcing and really trying to force your children to care about the same things you do. But when you make space for conversations around it, you, you stop being kind of the enemy and then your kids want to have conversations where they can actually hear your reasoning for things. Right. So that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to get parents to have conversations where you can actually not be just trying to tell your parent, tell your kids how to be but hearing what's really going on in their heads
0: do you feel like the current pandemic is causing a mental health crisis with the youth and if so how can their parents assist them and, and help them out during these tough times
1: i really do feel like it is i feel like there is even less control you know as human beings we don't like when they're um, when a lot of things are out of our control and when even like we look into the future and we don't even know how to plan, we don't even know what to dream about, what to hope for. And so I I really think having a conversation where instead of trying to guess what your kids need, just asking, like our kids know a lot. And I think sometimes we think as parents that we have to have the answers But I think having a conversation with your kids, just actually being curious about, you know, what would you say? I mean, given the restrictions of how we're living our lives, like, is there something we could be doing in this household, in our home culture to make it feel better to you? And I guarantee your kids will have some, something that they would like, that they feel like would make their lives better.
0: What advice would you give parents about dealing with divorce?
1: Um, I think maybe the biggest thing that comes up for me is, um, is I think that one of the most important things we can teach our kids is to listen to what I call their own inner wisdom. You know, that place inside of you where you just, it's like that gut feeling where you just can feel in your gut kind of what feels right for you and good for you and what doesn't. And one of the things that happens in divorce is that we don't necessarily tell our kids the truth, right? So like, you know, maybe maybe uh, uh, the mom is really mad, just really mad at her ex-husband, but she doesn't want to talk about why, because maybe it was something that's not good. And so she pretends that she's okay, she pretends like she's not mad because she thinks it's the right thing to do to not bring her, her kids into her you know, anger at her husband. And, but the thing is, is that kids can feel that. Kids can feel your emotions. And so if you are telling your kid, no, 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 it's fine, I'm not mad at him at all. Then they're stuck like, wait, so, I mean, I'm feeling that there's something here, but my mom's telling me that it's not true. So do I trust myself? or do I trust her. And so I think there's a way to acknowledge the truth of what's going on without giving away too many details. So I always invite parents to acknowledge the emotions, but you don't have to give details that you don't want to give about why. But when you when you are concerned and you want your kids to be able to trust what they're feeling in their guts, pay attention to, you know, when you are sort of hiding things or sugarcoating things from your kids and see if there's a way to be honest about that, that still protects your privacy.
0: What are the five most important resilience skills that a parent can teach their kids?
1: Well, I think one of them is to tell empowering stories about yourself. So the way that we talk about ourselves, the way our kids talk about ourselves really matters. So, you know, it can be something that doesn't seem like that big a deal, like I'm not good at math, or it can be something that is a big deal, like I'm not smart. But either way, let's take the one like I'm not good at math. You know, if you think you're not good at math, then you're probably not going to keep trying and pushing and keep asking your teacher to, you know, say it again till I get it. Right. And so then... Because you're not going to do that, your teacher's not going to think you care that much, and then you're not going to, you're not actually going to learn it. And so then you're not going to do that well, and it's just going to become the self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you can find a way to tell a better story about yourself, like, you know what, math doesn't always come easily to me, but I know when I work at it, I eventually get it. That's going to really change how your kid shows up in math class. That kid is going to, keep trying and keep asking, and then own when they actually finally get it. So that would be one of the really important ones is just tell empowering stories. I also think another one for kids is, um, is feel people out. Like we can feel, again, we can feel in our guts whether people feel good for us, whether they feel safe. And I don't mean safe like actually dangerous, but that's important too. But just like Safe like a friend who you can be authentic with or a friend who's just maybe not not so trustworthy. So pay attention to how you feel and how you behave differently around others. And that's that's just a really good way for, you know, taking control of who you let into your life because you know, the people you spend time with, that really shapes how you feel about yourself and how you show up in the world. Um, if you want five, I'd say, Really, the opposite of that one is true, too. Like another really important skill would be pay attention to how you come across to others. You know, like we a lot of people, a lot of adults, you've probably noticed this in your life, don't actually realize that they come across very differently than they intend. So you've probably noticed in your life that, you know, someone who's insecure or shy can actually come across as like aloof or standoffish. You know, or even kind of stuck up. And so it's just interesting to try to check in, not that you want to live your life trying to please others, but just to become aware if there's any, if there are any places in your life where you people are interpreting your behavior as different than you would like, because it gives you some power um, to figure out how do you, how do you, you know, tweak a little bit the way you're showing up so that you're presenting the version of yourself that that you want. Um, uh, yeah. What were you going to say?
0: Absolutely. And and sometimes you can even seem unfriendly if you're kind of quiet.
1: Exactly. And you don't want to, you know, And but a, a lot of times I think it's hard. I mean, I think it's, there's a lot of social anxiety for some reason. I think, um, maybe we're just aware of it, but I think there's a little bit more now with our teens and young adults. And, um, and so just like wanting to actually pay attention to like what are the things you can do that make you come across as really open and inviting to others? I mean, those are skills that people can learn, but you know, you're not gonna learn them if you're not trying to develop that level of self-awareness.
0: What you say that there are 10 words that can stop an argument in their tracks. Definitely let us know what that is because I know my listeners are definitely wanna know about this one.
1: (laughs) Okay, that's I'm like trying to think of what those ten words are now. You're right; we have that as one of our questions. Um, oh shoot, I can't remember what exactly we were doing that with. So it's about it's about con, it's it's about unmet needs being the root of interpersonal conflict, right? Like that's where that came from. So the idea is if you can ask someone, "What do you need from me?" that can make you feel better about this, but I don't know if that's 10. I think that's more. I'm I'm gonna have to email you about what those 10 actually are, but.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, because we definitely would be interested in that.
1: I will definitely email you, but it's definitely asking about like, what do you need from me to feel better?
0: Well, how do you feel that resiliency can help families navigate the complexity of wealth and wealth?
1: Wealth and what? wealth? Um, Well, because wealth adds another layer of, um, another layer of a lot of times, um, like it can be entitlement sometimes in kids. It can be, um, again, like values that we talked about before where parents have different values, but the kids, they're somehow not being translated. And so really everything that I try to do in parenting is to help people have conversations. Because when you develop the skills as parents to make it so that you have good conversations with your children about even the tough stuff, then even things like wealth or where you're disagreeing about values, you can find a way to disagree, but still feel like you're heard. And so when you're trying to open up your relationship to where you have better conversations. I feel like there are uh, kind of three main things to think of. And they're, you know, they're, they're not just easily done overnight, but I feel like the three conversations you can have with your kids are, it's like, I've decided from now on, I'm going to level with you. And that gets to that thing that we were talking about before with inner wisdom, like I'm going to be as a parent, I'm going to tell you the truth. I may not always answer every single one of your questions and give you details, but I'm going to tell you the truth about what's going on with me emotionally. I'm going to tell you the truth about the world as I see it. So you can trust me to tell you the truth. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I'm going to listen to you. I'm actually not just going to be pushing information towards you. I'm going to listen. I'm going to try to listen with curiosity and not an agenda and try to hear what you're trying to say. That doesn't mean I'm going to agree, but I'm going to listen. And then the third thing is I am going to transfer responsibility to you as often as I can, meaning I'm going to look for places in your life where I can give you more and more Responsibility and control over your own life. Now, if you don't live up to that, then I'll take it back, but I'm going to do my best to start treating you like someone who can have some say in your life. And so, if you establish that as the ground rules for your relationship, you start having these really great conversations. And then, with wealth and entitlement and all those tricky things that happen when Money adds this extra layer of complication to your relationship. You can you can navigate that. Sorry, that's a long-winded answer.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, and that's like just the, the difference between you know being rich and poor. You know, kind of navigating things in whatever situation you're in. Well, because in.
1: you're right. Because money, it's like we always think that not having money. Is the problematic thing, which of course it is. But there is, there's all this research out there that actually shows that kids from affluent families have a lot of anxiety and depression too. And you think like, oh, well, too bad for them. But I mean, the truth is, it actually, you know, it's their kids and it actually is a problem. So really, it's like money, whether it's too little of it or too much of it, it's just problematic. And you know that. I mean, money, even in couples' relationships, is the single most often thing that people fight about is money. It's just, it's just a problematic topic in really any, in many relationships.
0: More money, more problems. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it seems to be true a lot of the time.
0: So if someone has a trusted advisor, like for example, to help them navigate financial capital, what are some of the other things you think that trusted advisor should be helping them build strength? What other areas should they be helping them with?
1: Well, I love that you asked that question, too, because I think most trusted advisors care about the families they work with and and they want to have long term relationships with these families. And so helping those families become more resilient as individuals and as family units and not just more financially resilient, but more resilient in terms of being able to weather conflict And overcome adversity and have stronger relationships, even though you disagree about things. And so it's the same stuff about like getting your clients to be able to have better conversations where you're talking about the tough stuff, but it's not pulling you apart. And so that's what we help trusted advisors do is just build deeper relationships with their clients by actually helping those families build deeper relationships with each other.
0: What is the giant myth of self-esteem and whether we as parents have good self-esteem or not, how can we raise our kids and train them to have good self-esteem?
1: Well, I think the myth is that as parents, you know, we look at our kids and we just think they're amazing. I mean, we can just rattle off dozens of qualities that are amazing about them, that we love about them. And so we kind of think that if they could just see how great they are they will love themselves. Like just because we think they're awesome and wonderful and perfect just how they are, they should love themselves too. And I mean, how many times have you heard it? It's like, you should just love yourself because you're perfect just the way you are. Like you're good enough. And right, you've heard it. I mean, it's sort of become a cliche. Like we all know as adults, we're supposed to just Definitely love ourselves. have, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, even as adults, you know, it's not so easy just because you know you're supposed to. It's not so easy. In fact, I think that, It's probably the single most common thing that I see as a therapist is just this deep seated belief that most humans have that somehow they're not good enough. And so with kids and self-esteem, there's a really concrete way to look at it that I find helpful, which is that if you can think of two things, your personal strengths and your personal values, so if you can help your kids identify their personal strengths, and there are a lot of things that go into personal strengths, right? I mean, it could be something like, you know, I'm I'm honest and I'm um, a really hard worker. Those are great. But I also want to think about strengths that are just what comes easy to you? What comes naturally to you? You know, are you funny? Like, can you always make your friends laugh? Are you a good friend? Are you a good listener? So really identifying what your personal strengths are, because think about it. If you or your kid spends time using the things that they own as like, I'm good at this, they're gonna feel empowered. They just are. And so the thing about self-esteem is you have to earn your own self-esteem. You can't just have self-esteem because you think you should, you have to earn it. So one way to earn it is to spend time doing things that you feel good doing. So that's strengths. And then the second component is values if you can figure out what your personal values are, you know, is it that you value, you know, being physically fit and being a good student and being a good mom, whatever it is, you get to decide what your own values are. But if you decide what they are and then you live your life in alignment with those values, you will feel good about about yourself. You will earn your self-esteem. So I think being really concrete about things like that and having kids You know, write them down and you can even write a personal mission statement off of those things. And that level of self-awareness about this is who I am, this is what I care about, and this is how I live my life. That's how you earn your own sense of self-esteem.
0: What role do you feel that the school should play in teaching our kids emotional intelligence as well as resilience? And do you feel like they're doing a good job at whatever that might be?
1: I mean, I definitely feel like they they should. Um, I totally understand, though, why it's really difficult. I mean, I have three children, and I mean, it the days, you know, of are already, the schedules at school are already so filled, and typically what happens is, you know, those schools have to find a curriculum, they have to train someone to teach it, and then they have to carve out time in the day to have that teacher teach those kids. And then even the schools who do that, which is fantastic that there are some schools who are doing social and emotional learning, but there's this big gap between what the kids are learning and what the parents are learning, which is nothing. The parents aren't included in the whole process. And so what I have been developing is a way to unite the entire school system in a way that doesn't require training anyone, it doesn't require you know carving out the time and it includes the parents. And it's just, I do this with some, some nonprofits in Los Angeles right now where, um, and it's for nonprofits who mentor at risk youth. And so these mentors, which is the same thing that will happen in the school thing that I'm developing is they don't have to have any training in anything. They just literally pull up an email and it's an email that the parents get to And it just it's like the skill of the week. And so the skill of the week is something like we just talked about, like pay attention to how you come across to others. And they literally just have to read it. They don't have to teach it. They just read it aloud. And it's like three or four paragraphs about what this skill is and why it matters. And then it's five questions that they can ask whomever, whether it's one-on-one mentoring, whether it's mentoring in like a basketball youth activity or a football activity. Um, and it's just starting a conversation. And again, you don't have to have any expertise. They're really basic conversations and kids can't answer. Kids know a lot of this stuff. They just don't know that they know it, or they don't know how important it is. And so taken one at a time, they're pretty, they're pretty easy. Like, You know, take ownership of your personal strengths. Well, you can ask kids, well, you know, what are you really good at? What comes naturally to you? I mean, actually, strangely, though, you'd be surprised maybe how kids get into middle school and they get really shy and it's hard for them to name their strengths, but it's such a great activity to do. And then that's in there. And so, like I said, like one at a time, these are not difficult conversations, but taken all together They pull from my curriculum, which has been validated in, you know, four studies with researchers from Duke University and proven, you know, in all these ways to help people be more resilient. So so that's what I'm trying to do is get it out there in these little bite-sized, you can have a two-minute conversation, these bite-sized conversations that people can have um, in just a little bit of time that will hopefully kind of move the needle on building resilience.
0: Why are some people resilient while others are not? And for those who are not resilient, what can they do to build up their resilience?
1: I think people aren't resilient because they just weren't taught it or it wasn't modeled. You know, they didn't get taught, it wasn't taught by parents or teachers and their parents didn't, maybe weren't resilient themselves. So they didn't know how to just model it for their kids. But the good news is anyone can learn it. Resilience can be broken down into a set of skills that anyone can learn literally from a, I mean, seven-year-old, and some of these even younger, you know, to, it doesn't, and it doesn't have to, you don't have to be, have a certain level of intelligence. It's just that we haven't, as a country, we haven't done it this way. We haven't, for some reason, we haven't taught it this way. And instead people feel like you have to, you know, spend a lot of money on therapy or spend a lot of hours in therapy. But the truth is, if you can start learning these skills one at a time, You can change your whole mindset and it's a spiral. It just sort of everything suddenly starts working better. You know, you have better thoughts and so people respond to you better and you have better behavior and it's just it's just once you start, it kind of builds momentum. But the other thing is true too, right? If you don't have resilience, you can spiral down. If you don't know how to kind of stop the negative spiral, all of a sudden it just builds momentum that way. So, I mean to end on the positive, it's absolutely things people can learn and um that's what I'm trying to do, just get it out there.
0: Well, talk about the five most important conversations that people can have to build personal relationships.
1: So, um I would say um the five for your personal relationships is, um, what do you need from me? Like probably one of the most important ones is needs. You know, I feel like in relationships, if we made it more of a habit to talk about needs, um, cause we don't, we don't, we don't always want to give the other person what they need, or we, maybe we can't, you know, but we at least, Getting clear about what you need from me and what I need from you, and which things we can help each other with, and which things we can let the other person get met on their own. Like, you know, maybe, maybe you need to have Friday nights with your friends, and I really feel like I need to have Friday nights as a couple. Well, so that's a conversation, but it can probably be worked out if you're talking about it in terms of like, these are my five most important needs, and these are your five most important needs. And let's figure out a way to try to balance them so we both feel at least like we're, you know, getting our needs met uh, or at least getting enough of our needs met. Um, For relationships, what else would I say is, um, I mean, I would say having a conversation about boundaries and just like, you know, it's related to needs, but it's like, if you have a need to have friends time, and you're, you know, but you're, you're in a relationship and you're kind of having this maybe conflict about, you know, one person needs more one-on-one time and one person needs more friend time, like being clear about setting boundaries and like, and, and, and not, you know, stepping over each other's boundaries. That's a really important conversation. It's like, you know, how can we define boundaries that make it feel like if I'm out with my friends, you know, we have a boundary that you're not gonna, you've agreed that I can go and you're not gonna, Text me 15 times or call me four times or have an emergency that makes me come home. So I think boundary conversations are really important in relationships. Uh, the other thing is just basically explain what feels supportive. Like, you know, how sometimes in relationships, someone's trying to be supportive, but it's just missing. It's just not what you want. You know, maybe someone maybe like in a friendship, for example, like, you know, someone wants to, um, I don't know, come over, like be in your space more, but what you really need is like, you know, to like have our check-in time, but like, you don't have time to like have as many conversations as they need. So the point is just like, let people know, like, yes, I'm upset, but what I really need from you is like let's go on a hike on Sunday, but I don't need for you to call me every single day and ask me to talk about why I'm upset. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um. Oh, well for the, another one about relationships is just listening. Right. It's like, you know, when you can have a conversation about like, how does it feel when I'm listening to you? Like, do you, do you get, do you get that I hear you? Or do you feel like sometimes I'm like you're talking and I'm, you know, trying to fix something, but not really hearing, you know? So like having a conversation about what it looks like to really listen to someone for them to really feel heard. That's really a fantastic conversation for relationships because that happens a lot where the way someone listens is to like immediately need to fix it. Right. And that can feel really great and empowering to that person, and that's what they would need from someone else: help me problem solve and fix this. But what the other person needs is like, I don't actually need you to fix it. I just need you to hear me and let me feel this emotion. Have you ever seen the? Um, have you ever seen that YouTube video where the man and woman are sitting on the sofa and um, she has the nail sticking out of her forehead?
0: No, I haven't. Um, t- tell like us about that one
1: if you Google it, it's just, it's really a great, it's like a little two minute YouTube video, but it's basically what I was just saying. It's basically, you can't see the front of the woman's head, but she keeps saying, um, I just have this pain. It's just like this pain. And he's saying, yeah, but I mean, I think, and she keeps interrupting him. And the point is like, he wants her to just take the nail out of her forehead, but she just wants him to hear and like empathize and let it be okay. And be with her. While she's feeling that emotion and i just think it's such a great representation of some sometimes how different people have different needs when it comes to you know how to listen to someone so look it up if you haven't seen it it's really funny
0: definitely will do let's talk about any um, upcoming projects that you might have are there any projects that you're doing now any books anything that you would like to plug to let my listeners know so they can take part in it? Or...
1: Absolutely. Well, I we have just launched resilience-based parenting. And so it is a, it's an audio course. And so we're trying to make everything super bite-sized so that it fits in your life and you'll actually use it. So it literally, you sign up for it and you get um, an email and in that email, you just click the link and it is a less than 10 minute audio lesson. So you can You don't have to stop what you're doing. You know, it's audio, which is fantastic. You can be walking the dog or washing the dishes or whatever. And so that's the skill of the week. And it's just, again, it's giving you the the skill of the week and the conversation to have with your children for that week to improve your relationship with your kids. And then if you liked it and you want to go deeper in that skill in a couple of days, you get a worksheet that you can do with your kids. And if you want one more level deeper in another couple of days, you get another resource. But basically, if you just listened to the 10 minute audio and they come every week in your inbox, it will take your parenting to the next level. It's really taking all this giant curriculum that I have spent all these years developing and getting it down into these really condensed, actionable skills that you can learn and teach to your kids. So that's my big thing that I'm really excited about. We also have one that's called Parenting Through Divorce. And that just helps parents, you know, the biggest thing in divorce I think is like, will my kids be okay? And so this is, it's the same, it's audio lessons, but it's basically just audio lessons specifically for how do you as a parent Um, have conversations with your kids that will let you know that your kids are going to be okay and that you and your kids are building resilience and you're actually becoming closer as a family unit in the process.
0: Well, go ahead and throw out that website or any contact info so people can take part in these courses if they would like to.
1: Best place to go is mcdermottmethod.com and mcdermott is m-a-c-d-e-r-m-o-t-t so it's mcdermottmethod.com and we did a forward slash curveball so if you go to mcdermottmethod.com forward slash curveball there's lots of freebies on there too so we put a bunch of free resources on there just for your listeners and actually Our um, the divorce course is always open, but we only open the resilience based parenting quarterly. So it's not opening again till January, except for your listeners. We're going to open it for a couple of days. If anyone's interested, they will be able to sign up and there's a discount. And if they're not sure, there's going to be a lot of resources there for them to just check out and learn more about what we do.
0: Well, I definitely appreciate that. And I'm sure in these tough times, my my listeners will appreciate it. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you would like to touch on before we go?
1: I don't think so. We touched on a lot and I just really appreciate you having me on.
0: Absolutely. I thank you for coming on. Ladies and gentlemen, Kristen McDermott. Kristen, thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you so much.
0: For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused. On living the dream, dream.